Welcome to the Sharing Life Ministries Sermon of the Week. We hope that you were blessed by this message from Pastor Lawrence Romali. Good morning. As uh, Pastor Susan said, we were away last week and we uh, went to New Jersey to uh, celebrate my dad's 90th birthday. And... Um, it was also my middle child's, I won't mention how many years, birthday. Um, and um, they share a birthday. And, and it, was, it was really kind of neat because it was four generations that came together. And it was fun to watch the little kids all having a great time in the pool and wearing my parents out. <laughs> but it's been a long time since we've all been together like that. And, um, and it was good. And... and so good to know that um, we don't have to be here. We don't have to be here. Uh, and uh, so uh, just grateful for Pastor Jay and his message. And uh, it's calling us up into the new you. And we forget that, don't we? We kind of, we, we identify with who we were and not who we are, who we're called to be. So thank you, and, and um, it's good, very good. So we are continuing in this series that I've been on. This is number 12 or 13, I forget now. Um, looking at scripture, it's misinterpreted or misused. Um, and I keep using as a theme verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, it says... This, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And that verse, we've been saying it every time, every week, and it's a call to be a student. It's a call to continually study, to dig into the word. I want to understand, and we're doing this so that we can learn some tools to know how to understand your Bible. Today we're working, looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of you have heard that verse? Good, a few of you. Think about what that means or how you've heard it taught. And this isn't so much a misused verse, but a misunderstood verse. Obviously, everyone who says Jesus isn't saved. Because we hear people say Jesus all the time. <laughs> Thanks, Misty. Way more people misuse his name then use it in reverence. And think about it. Think of all the names that you could use as a curse word. But what, word, what name does everyone use? It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or you're an atheist or whatever. What word is always used as a curse word? Jesus. The name with power. The name with power. And it's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement 
of that name. It's an acknowledgement. So I thought we would look at this verse because it's tent meeting season. When everyone gets together and there's altar calls and people come forward I thought it would be a good time to look at the gospel and and what it is and how we're to use it responsibly so that we're workers who do not need to be ashamed. When we share the gospel, we want to share it accurately because we want to see that person that we shared with, which obviously we care about them, we want to see them grow and be mature. And that's not all on us. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But we're the ones that introducing them to it. We're the ones that are discipling them. We need to be speaking truth. We have all kinds of opportunities to share. We want to share in a biblical way. Make true believers, disciples of Jesus, not false converts. I've heard from people that have gone or taken loved ones to services, to assemblies, to tent meetings, to these large gatherings, and have said, Yes, yes, this, my friend, they went forward. Each night, they got saved every night. We don't get saved every night. And so what's happening is people are going through these emotional roller coaster rides where they don't really understand and they have a heart that they want something or need something, but they're not truly finding it. They're having an emotional experience that isn't lasting and isn't changing. So as we look at this, we're going to look at some of the tools we've been using, dig into this verse. We're in the book of Romans. What's the genre of that? It's a letter, an epistle. Good. Who's speaking? Paul. Who's it written to? Roman Christians. The church in Rome. Good job. You get, a, you get a star. The key words that we look at here are call. Everyone calls. What does that mean to call on a name? And saved. They'll be saved. Paul's not using any literary devices here. He's, just, he's writing a letter. He's writing a letter to a church in Rome. A place that he had expected to have been already but he hasn't made it yet. When we look at this verse, we've been looking at looking at different translations and, and we live in a time where we can go online and look at every translation. Now I'm going to give a Bible Gateway plug here because it's what I primarily use, but if you go into Bible Gateway and you call up this verse, there is a little tab there that says, see this verse in every translation. And you can read them all. It is so easy. 
I don't have to have 40 Bibles that I'm going to Romans to see what it means. Click, there they all are. So there's no great big differences, but the amplified version, amplified translation, gives some depth and clarity. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, invoking him as Lord, will be saved. It's a little deeper. So everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to invoke him or make him Lord will be saved. Does this verse have a word that uh, says we need to look back further? Well, it says for. So he's talking about something. He says for or because. So we need to look back a little bit. This letter to the Romans, it's rich. It needs to be read as a complete letter. We lose much when we take pieces out of it. And, and that's true for most of scripture, but especially for a letter. We, we desperately, we want to take a shortcut. We want to take a little piece and inform a theology around it. We all do that. We all do that. But when we do that, we can end up off track. And when we end up off track, we often take others with us. So Romans is an amazing letter in which Paul methodically shows us our desperate need for salvation and expertly presents the new covenant, the gospel in Jesus Christ. Paul presents and defends the gospel like an expert lawyer. He lays it out like he's a prosecutor. It's really amazing. Lays out all the facts showing our need for a savior and presenting God's need for salvation. In chapters 9 and 10, Paul's speaking to, of the Jews and how by rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the very God that they claim to follow. Get that. He's saying you're rejecting Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God. God gave Israel the law. He told them to keep it, and he created the sacrificial system for when they didn't. Israel des deceived themselves into believing that they were actually keeping the law because they twisted it, they interpreted it. It says, don't do this. And so they said, well, but if we do this this way, then it's okay. And so they made all these adjustments to the law and clarifications to the law so that they could claim that they were keeping the law. They added to it. They tweaked it. I've talked about speed limit signs all, all the time. And we all know that if we're driving in a 55 mile an hour zone, we can go how fast? 60, 64. <laughs> That's taking the law and tweaking it so that we can claim that we're keeping it. Did you speed? Well, <laughs> no. Because I was only going 64 or 60. And the police will let you go that fast and get away with it. 
right? So are you really keeping the law? No. Because 55 and a little, little bit would be breaking it. And because you didn't get pulled over doesn't mean you didn't break it. But we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're good, into thinking we're keeping the law. And this is what Israel has done, what the Jews have done. Ultimately, what they did is they worshipped the law. And then they used their supposed obedience as their way to interact with God. It was all about how they were obedient or believed they were obedient. That was the basis of their relationship with God. They were close to the idea of grace, of salvation through faith. Rather than relying on God to save them, they put their reliance on their good works, their obedience. No one keeps the law of God perfectly, or even close to perfectly. Anyone who claims to earn salvation by their obedience has only succeeded in deceiving themselves. In chapter 9, just a little bit back from our verse, in verses 30 to 33, Paul speaks of this. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. The Gentiles did not pursue the law to attain salvation because the law wasn't given to them, right? The Gentiles, the law wasn't given to the Gentiles. Yet because God's laws are written on each of our hearts, we know our need for forgiveness. We know our need for salvation. We hunger for it. Yes. We hunger for it, but don't know what we're hungry for. And so as believers, we're to be aware of who's around us that we see that's hungry so that we can say, hey, come and have your hunger satisfied. The Gentiles eagerly received the gospel that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ rather than working by obedience to attain it. Paul says that the Jews stumbled over the stumbling block. That's Jesus, the Messiah. They rejected pursuing God for their own way. And think about it. In, in our life, there are ways that we have to do things. There are ways. We can't say, I'm going to do it my own way. If you want your driver's license, there is a way that you have to go 
things that you have to do to get your driver's license. You can't just say, I'm going to do it a different way and print my own. <laughs> and then drive my own speed limits. <laughs> right? We can't do that. And it's the same. God made a way. And we are to be grateful and thankful and frankly, in awe that he gave us a way at all. So to choose our own way ends in our own destruction. Chapter 10 begins with Paul expressing his heart that the Jews would be saved. Verses 1 through 4, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's, a, that's confusing. There's a lot in there. But basically it's this. Paul says that the Jews have a zeal for God. That's a, a desire. They have a desire for God. They're eager for him, but, but not according to knowledge. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. They were thinking that they could attain salvation on their own by being good. That's works. We've all heard people say, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. Or, on the other hand, you better behave. And you better do what's right because God's going to be angry at you. We've all heard that. Maybe we've said it. <laughs> God's watching you. It's grace. We live under grace. We're not earning it by being good. So Paul is speaking to the Jews here, but we can apply some of what he's saying to the people that we know all around us that think that they're being good and earning salvation by their goodness. Oftentimes people will claim that. I'm going to heaven. I'm all right with God because I'm a good, good person. That works mentality deceives them. We often think that works means doing good stuff, feeding the poor, giving to charity, things like that. But our self-proclaimed obedience to the law, that's works as well trying to earn our salvation. We're relying on ourselves rather than having a relationship with Jesus. And often we preach more about avoiding hell than we do about the immeasurable joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus. It's all about, you don't want to go to hell. Well, no. But look at the joy that comes out of the relationship. It would be like saying, 
you better get married or you're going to be lonely. Rather than you get to marry that person and look at the relationship and the joy that you have in the relationship. It's about the joy in the relationship with Jesus. And when we live that, when we live that, it's attractive. But we get caught up in the rules. We all do. And it's religion. And religion doesn't save anyone. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, God told Moses to gather the people at the base of Mount Sinai. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. God desired relationship with his people. So gather them, consecrate them, purify them. Do a ritual cleansing that signifies or represents what he wanted to do on the inside. But the people responded by saying this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They chose rules over relationship and they received the law, the Ten Commandments. We do the same thing. Give me some boxes to check off and I will self-assess whether I did so adequately or not yep went to church every Sunday this year have my perfect attendance pin from Sunday school and I tithe every week I'm golden and what's that <laughs> yeah. so so we make these rules and we follow these rules and God's saying I want relationship with you. And we say, "Mm, I'm not so sure, because that's scary. It's safer, or it seems safer, to have rules and boxes to check off than this open-ended relationship with God. Because who knows what he might ask me to do? We do that. We're surrounded by people who do that. We define who God is and define how we will act with, uh, interact with him. This is how I'm going to interact with you, God. I'll go to church on Sunday. You leave me alone the rest of the week. Or, I'll go to church on Sunday, I'll do my devotional. Or, I'll watch church on Sunday. Because this is how I'm going to do it. And yeah, your word says, 
I want you in a church. I want you, it's your family. And we say, yeah, I'm doing it my own way. And I'm going to determine that that's okay. And God, you're going to have to be good with it. I mean, it sounds extreme the way I say it, but isn't that what we do in our heart? And our hearts are wicked. Who knows what God would ask me to do if I really got in a relationship with him? But I'm here to tell you. There's nothing better. And, and I can tell you, I have met people say, if I got in a relationship with God, if I committed with him, well, then he would want me to stop doing this or this or this or this. He'd want this to change. And I love these things. We all do that. But back to Romans. In chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes this. For Moses, he's reflecting back on what we just read. Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, if you claim to live by the law, you need to do that perfectly. Verse 6 says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So Moses wrote about the righteousness based on the law. In other words, finding salvation by keeping the law, by obedience, by what we do. And that those who chose this, must, that this method of salvation must live by the commandments perfectly. And if they haven't kept the commandments perfectly, well, then you haven't kept them. You've broken them. And verses 6 and 7 are confusing, but what Paul's saying is, is when we seek salvation anyways but by faith in Jesus Christ, we're nullifying that Jesus is God, seating in heaven. And we're dismissing that he defeated death and victoriously rose from the grave. We're, We're taking those out. And he said it in a poetic way. We set that truth aside when we attempt to find salvation by obedience to the law. And Paul says in verse 8 that right that the righteousness that we try to manufacture on our own, it's right before us in our mouth and our heart. Verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Salvation is revealed by our words, by our lives, It does not mean we are not obedient. Of course, we are to live obediently. But we don't trust our obedience to bring salvation. And many people are confused by this as well, that because of God's grace, I no longer have to obey. I can do whatever I want because God understands and he forgave me. I'm good. I can do whatever I want. And it's not true. 
He saved us from our disobedience. Why would we go and be disobedient again? The very thing that sought to destroy us, we jump back into. Of course, we need to be obedient. But we don't trust our obedience for salvation. We're to proclaim our faith in Jesus, to speak it out. To ver- when we do that, we verbally identify, we declare, we testify. When Susan and I go somewhere, and I'm meeting a lot of people down here, it's my short time, I'm continually meeting new people, she doesn't say, oh, yeah, that's Larry. She says, this is my husband. There's an identification there. It speaks of the relationship. In the same way, we tend to shrink back from identifying with Jesus because we don't want people to think like we're some kind of a nut. But we are. But we're nuts about Jesus. So, so to shrink back from that almost says, I'm in this relationship with this person, but I'm embarrassed of it. Let it not be. Verse 9 through 13 says this. Because, talking about the word being near you and in your mouth and heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To confess is to declare one's faith or believe in something or someone. In order to do that, I must no longer trust or have faith in what I previously did. Get that? In order to declare my faith or belief in something or someone, I must no longer trust or have faith in what I previously trusted or believe in. It's repentance. That's a change of mind, a change of allegiance, a change of direction. I can't just add a new belief on top of my previous belief. So I previously believed in my flesh, myself, or my obedience to the law, or whatever. And I can't just continue to trust in my flesh and now say I trust in Jesus. This trust ends. This allegiance ends. This relationship ends because now there's this relationship. 
so in the context of this passage, in the context of this passage, think about what you previously trusted in, your goodness, your behavior, your obedience, and how you trusted that to make you right with God or feel right with God. And now this transition took place that now I'm putting my trust in what Jesus did on the cross. It's my only hope. And that declaration, beginning with your declaration to yourself, it comes from your heart, but it's spoken by your mouth. It's not a casual just come words that come out of our mouth. We think about it, parents, you have children, and you say, tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. There's nothing from the heart there. <laughs> it comes from the heart. It's a change of mind. And this is why, and I've said it over and over, this is why tools like salvation cards and the sinner's prayer don't save. They're words written on a piece of paper or repeated by me, but don't change my heart. If anything, it reinforces my reliance on what I do to find salvation. Read this. Read this and you're saved. Well, that's not true comes out of my heart, a change of heart. So when I reinforce my reliance on something like the sinner's prayer or a salvation card, I will rely on praying that prayer or signing a card or raising my hand or some kind of an altar call where I'm told what to say rather than relying on the saving work of Jesus Christ that changes my heart from what I do to what I know. Hear that again. I need the saving work of Jesus Christ to change my heart from what I do to what I know. Deep in my heart, I need to know. I am inadequate. I am a sinner. I am living in rebellion against God. And only he can save me. And he made a way. And it's his way that I have to follow. I need to know that. And when my heart needs, knows that, then my mouth will speak it. Paul says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, it is implied that I am no longer my Lord. We can only have one Lord. That's right. A Lord is one who has authority, control, or power over others. A master. It implies surrender and submission. All words we don't like. 
It means that my allegiance has changed. We often think of this as changing our allegiance from Satan to God. But few of us ever trusted Satan. Rather, our trust is in ourselves. We are our own gods and desire to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and who we want to do it with. Verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul is saying that this is all about a heart change. And a heart change leads to a change in what we say and what we do. To confess. To confess is to acknowledge or admit. It's a declaration that comes from the heart change. Paul's not talking about two different acts here. He's speaking of a declaration that results from a changed heart. The heart hidden inside, not seen by everyone, right? Our heart is not seen by everyone, is revealed by our public words. We no longer deny God's place as Lord, and we no longer declare our self-sufficiency. One of the areas I hear that self-sufficiency come out in Christians is when I, if I ask someone, do you read your Bible? And the overwhelming answer is, yes, but not as much as I should. And I always say, well, how much should you? And they say, I don't know, but more. (laughs) And that's that trying to earn favor with God. Should we read our Bible? Absolutely. Does it earn us favor with God or in salvation? No. We can easily misuse this verse and say that we're allowing God, we are allowing God into our heart or asking God into our heart. We've all heard that. And maybe we've shared that with you. need to ask God into your heart or allow him into your heart. Like we're doing God a favor and giving him a chance. Yeah, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this. Yeah, maybe I'll give this Jesus guy a chance and see how that works. Hang on, yeah. (laughs) God's place is in our hearts. God's place is in everyone's heart. God is Lord, whether we admit it or not, whether we submit to it or not. That is God's place. We are not just allowing him or giving him this opportunity to prove himself. We are his creation. He is not our creation. In our rebellion, we've attempted to push God out of what is his. Offering to follow him, but under our conditions. That is why we have the audacity to question God, to demand that he perform for us, to condemn him when he doesn't meet our expectations. Because we're coming to God on our own conditions. 
We deserve absolutely nothing from God other than punishment. Any blessing we receive, every good thing we have is a result of God's grace and favor. And salvation, salvation. We are so far from deserving salvation that God the Son, Jesus, had to come to earth and die in our place. When we're able to truly understand what we deserved and what God did for us, how he rescued us, how he bought us back from slavery to sin, only then might we have the heart transformation needed to verbally confess him as Lord. You cannot come to that place by repeating what someone tells you to say. That is why so many false converts result from reciting the sinner's prayer. Can it work? Of course. God can use anything, but we shouldn't rely on it. And we will continue in this passage next week because I don't want to just tell you what not to say, but I want to tell you this is what you do say and how you can say it without saying it for someone. We live in a society that doesn't know what sin is and who easily dismisses it. Well, everyone does that. God understands. I don't have a choice. Or I got baptized, I go to church, I'm forgiven. I'm okay. Any of these responses reveal a heart that has not believed and not been changed. I regularly encounter people who are entirely apathetic towards God, yet believe they are saved. They would never think of coming to church or reading their Bible or doing anything that shows any part of a relationship. But yet they believe they're good. Why? Because I got baptized, or I went to church when I was a kid, or I went forward at an altar call. So I'm good. And their whole heart, their whole desire, is just to escape hell. And sadly, they're deceived. That is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And when someone brings a person into your life that you get to share the gospel with, you don't want to get to heaven and find out that they never received that relationship because you never shared that it was a relationship. You said, hmm, I don't know what to say, but I have this sinner's prayer. Repeat that and you're good. And they go on their merry way, living their life with no change. 
I want to tell you, it's not hard. It's not hard to share the gospel accurately with someone. But we get scared and we say we don't know what to do. So here, read this prayer. Or here, do this. Or, well, stop that behavior. And sometimes we stop the bad behavior, but we keep all the other. <laughs> because we, we attempt to get rid of the thing that everyone sees that's really bad. So maybe we were a drug addict and stole to support it and lied about it and, 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 and all these things. And we get told that you need to stop doing drugs and they get freed from doing drugs, but they still do all the other stuff. And so the idea is that stopping doing drugs would save me or whatever it is. And it's not what saves us. So next week, we're going to talk about how to share the gospel. God's heart is that all people, all people, not just the Jews, would turn to him and be saved. That's what Paul is saying. He says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is there for all who call on the name of the Lord. All. This promise is also found in the Old Testament book of the prophet Joel, who prophesied of the Messiah to come, of Jesus. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call on the name of the Lord means to believe the message to have faith. The Lord is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And since we're calling on the name of the Lord, it means we're acknowledging him as Lord. We're submitting to his rule in our life, claiming him, yet pursuing our own way, our own life, our sin. It's not an option. It's not an option. He's going in a different direction. We're following him. To call on the name of the Lord means to take his name, much as a woman takes the name of her husband. It signifies commitment and oneness and faithfulness. It represents a new identity, a new identity in Christ which means our old identity is gone. It's gone. Amen. Jesus does not casually give us his name. And we cannot casually receive it. That's right. It's a matter of the heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we <laughs> thank you. We thank you. We worship you and bless you for what you did for us. That you came down from heaven and became a man 
and yet lived without sin and died in our place so that we could live with you for all eternity. No amount of obedience could ever achieve that. And Lord Jesus, remind us, remind us when we try to earn favor with you. When we try to earn salvation. And when we speak that over other people, especially our children. And Lord, Help us to know the gospel clearly. That when you give us opportunities to share with others, we would be able to share about the heart change that we received. That we would proclaim it with our lips. That you are Lord. And that we would do so without being ashamed without feeling like it will make us look like a nut. And Lord, I just pray right now that if there's anyone here who never experienced that heart change, that perhaps casually sought salvation, but did so on their own terms. If there's anyone here in that place that they would speak with me or Pastor Jay, Pastor Susan, before they leave this room this afternoon, that they might know, that they might know that they belong to you. And that the adventure, (laughs) the adventure of following you as Lord would begin. And Lord Jesus, we are so blessed that you, you take us with all our faults, with all our weaknesses, and use us for your purposes. It is amazing. It is amazing. And we desire to grow as students that the words that come from our mouths would be true. It would be faithful disciples. And that we would change our homes, our workplaces, our communities because of the word of our testimony. And that we would lead them to you, the one true God, the only way to salvation. So work in us. Make us hungry, passionate, intentional for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Sharing Life Ministries is located at the Life Center, 48 West 2nd Avenue, Ridgely, West Virginia. Or follow us on Facebook.